Once again, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Thankful for this time together. If you grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the letter of Ephesians, you'll find Paul's letter towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. Today we continue in chapter 3. As I've been blessed to personally pray and prepare to preach, verse 20 and 21. In a sermon that I've titled, God is. As we approach the halfway point in Paul's letter to the region of Ephesus, it is here we read the third part of Paul's prayer for the saints. Let me read you this to right now. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In the last few weeks, we've studied Ephesians 14 through 19, and the first parts of this prayer that Paul prays to our good Father for all the believers in the united and diverse family of God. Paul prayed that God would grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit and their inner being, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would be rooted and grounded in his love, that they have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love, that they know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we concluded our study together last Sunday, we found ourselves standing on the edge of the infinite, contemplating the vastness of the fullness of God, elated at the idea of invitation to truly be full in God, to truly be satisfied in God. Today we see Paul's conclusion to his prayer as he turns the focus onto God himself. Just as we should conclude all of our prayers, not just with a list of requests, but with a complete surrender to God's ability, power, will, and work, and glory. We do this because it's not about us. We yield to him in prayer because it's about him. It's all about God. We do this because His ways are better than our ways. And His view is far better than our view. Church, in Ephesians 3, 20-21, this is one of the great doxologies of Holy Scripture. It has truly been a bright light in my heart and in my leading of the flock for the last 21 years of ministry. What a treat, what a gift it is to get to preach it today, for us as a church to study it together today. What a joy it is for us to see and savor who God is, what He is able to do, and why He does what He does. Look with me, first part of verse 20 as we dive in. Now to Him who is able... As Paul turns his prayer to who God is, he boldly and pointedly declares, God is able. 
Just pause here with me before seeing the rest of the statement and just consider the weight and the beauty and good news those three words are to us. God is able. This is a reference to his power, to his limitless reach and influence. God has no limitations. It all belongs to him. He is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. God is omnipotent. Omni meaning all, potent meaning strength or power. God is able to do all His holy will. He is all-powerful. God's power, His ability are limitless. Now, when I say limitless, there's an important caveat or clarity that Scripture makes clear. God cannot or will not do anything that goes against His nature or that is inconsistent with His perfections. Thus, God is able to do all His holy will. He cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. James 1.13 He can do anything, but it is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18 He can do anything, but God cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 This is why we see so much emphasis in the New Testament church in the New Testament scriptures about praying in line with the will of God. Because God is able, but God is not going to ever stop being holy, perfect, just, righteous, or laser focused to accomplish his holy will. There is a special worship song I grew up listening to in our family home that helped ingrain this important truth into my mind, into my wiring about who God is, the chorus of that song simply states that God is able more than able. Paul's already prayed this in Ephesians 1.19 for the saints to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. He's reminding them that God has this immeasurable greatness of power. He's more than able. God is able, church. Do you know this? I mean, truly know it. Know it with all of your being. With all faith. We need to know this. We need to trust in it. So that you run to Him, so that you trust in Him in all things. When you have a problem in life, do you call the person you know can't help you? No. Of course not. Do you call the person you know can help you? Yes. He is able, church, more than able. This is why it's essential that we know and trust that God is able. That we go to Him 
all of the time, that we trust in him in everything. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. The psalmist agrees and proclaims the power of God in Psalm 33, 6-11. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. He spoke and it came to be. Oh, the power of God is a mighty and marvelous thing. Christian, do you know the power of the living God? Do you see how nothing in all of creation stands as his equal or his rival? Only one is truly omnipotent. The one true God. Matthew 19.26, Jesus looked to them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Hear it clearly. With God, all things are possible. God is able. More than able. But but Paul goes further. He says God is able to do. The word do here means to make, to cause, to effect, to bring about, to accomplish, to create. This might not come off as that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal that God is able to do. That He's able to do anything. This is a huge deal when you consider the fact that only the one true God is able to do anything. And the false idols, man-made gods, are not able to do anything. Consider the weight of that. In the Old Testament, Isaiah's day, the people of Israel were in their sin falling away from worship and devotion to the one true God. They were worshiping and chasing after idols, man-made false gods. In Isaiah 44, God describes the idols as nothing but pieces of lumber carved by the worshiper who makes a false god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. In Isaiah 41, God says rightly that idols can do nothing. Praise God that he can and does act. Praise God because he is worthy to be praised. Amen? Paul continues in saying, Now to him who is able to do 
far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Let's first acknowledge the basic layer of what's being said here. And that is that God is able to do what we ask. Scripture is clear that we are to bring our requests before the Lord in prayer. And we're to do this often and we're to do it boldly. James 4 verse 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Church, are you bringing your request to God and are you doing it by faith in God as you pray? To say words, to throw them out haphazardly to not really consider the one you're praying to to not consider the faith that must be active to truly believe in him and that he's listening and that Jesus is mediating and the Holy Spirit is empowering that faith must be active church we don't just say things and throw them into the wind no we act we pray in faith That's how we do it rightly. And we pray in accordance with his will for his glory, not for our passions, not for sinful things, but to do his holy will. I love 1 John 3, 21 through 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Pastor, theologian, James Montgomery Boyce says this about this verse. It says that, number one, if we are praying with a clear conscience, that is, if we are being honest and open before God, and number two, if we are doing what God in His Word has commanded us to do, and number three, if we are seeking to please God in every possible way, then we can know that what we ask of God, we will receive. We can know, to use Paul's words, that God is able to and will do what we ask. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence, boldness, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praise God that we can come to Him anytime with anything. Praise God that He hears us and answers our prayers in His perfect wisdom and timing. Church, pray often. Come to Him with confidence for He's able to do all that we ask that is in line with His holy will and word. Now as good as that is, Paul doesn't stop there. He builds on it because his emphasis is beyond it. He says God is able to do Way more than anything we can ask for or even imagine. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. 
according to the power at work within us. Let me ask you, Christian, have you not found this to be absolutely true in your life? That God does far more than you knew to even ask for? Far more than you knew how to even dream? Abraham, he just wanted to serve God as a dad. That was his prayer. That's what he asked for. I just want to be a papa. And God, and God blesses him. He doesn't only make him a father to Isaac. God makes him a father of nations. Moses just wanted to stay out of trouble. He had once failed majorly and he was thankful to have lived through it. He just wanted to do his life away from the spotlight. spotlight of Egypt that he once was in the middle of to live a simple life God sends him back into the heart of Egypt he uses Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery out of the hand of Pharaoh into the promised land David just wanted to serve God as a faithful shepherd but God raised him up to be the king the leader of the people Our brother in Christ, Jason Skaggs, he just wanted to be sober after years of life-destroying drug addiction. But God did far more than Jason knew how to ask or even dream. God saved his soul. He adopted him into his beloved eternal family. He helped him get off of disability and into a full-time job he helped him get off of all of his lifelong medications he helped him come to a place where he's now faithfully serving the lord at the church the motorcycle club outreach is a member of and i could spend all morning telling your stories like that Testimonies of how God did far more abundantly than you knew how to ask or even think. Oh, how I pray you remember this today and you never forget it. Never lose sight of who God is and what He has done and what He is able to do. This is why we need to conclude all of our prayers with true and complete yielding to God. Why? Because He is so much greater. And His view and plan is so much better. You miss out on who God is if you just run to Him with your request and run away. You must remember who He is and how able He is and how His plan, His view is better. We are foolish to say, Lord God, do this one my way. No, never. Lord, here's my honest request, but do it your way. Every time. Always. Why? Because your way is way better than my way. Are you yielding? As much as you want that thing to go your way, do you believe in who God is and yield it to Him rightly? Lord, make your will my will. 
Why would I want him to do only what I've asked him when his way, his timing, his will is so much greater than I know how to even ask or dream? As we try to climb into the fullness of Paul's emphasis here, consider with me this point. That the giants of our faith... History, Abraham, Moses, David, ex- the things they experienced were truly amazing beyond what they knew how to ask or dream. And yet, those things, those amazing, historic, game changing, world impacting things, were still measurable, finite. But that's not what Paul's praying for here. Listen to his unique and extra emphasis when he says that he's able to do far more abundantly. This is translated exceedingly abundantly. He's saying that God is infinitely more beyond. In other words, God is able to do immeasurably beyond all that we ask or think. Paul is praying that God would do exceedingly, infinitely, abundantly, immeasurably more. Did Paul just get carried away here? Did he just get into it? No. Consider with me that Paul has this in mind in chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Or, or later then in Ephesians 3.8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And now we praise that God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, Paul is doing, church, what we must do in Christ. We must do it. We must think it. We must know it. And that is to think and to hope and to live not just for the temporary. And not just with the temporary in view, but with the eternal in view. With the magnitude of God. Paul is going beyond this incredible, amazing, unimaginable things of God, what he will do in this lifetime. And he's thinking of the blessings of God's inexhaustible grace and riches that we will know and enjoy forever. Church, we are sojourners, travelers in this time and place. May we be oh so careful where our focus is. 
Are you getting all too focused on the temporary where it is affecting your faith, your perspective, your view of who God is and what he is able to do? Church, as Scripture teaches, may we build up riches in heaven, not on earth. May we be quick to love and serve others, to give it away. It's not about us. It's about our mission. It's about His glory. May we we see through momentary pain, loss, suffering, to the higher calling, to the eternal home, to the real prize, which is life eternal in God Himself. Now, does this mean that because we're focused on the eternal, we're guilty of checking out in the here and now? Does this mean we just sit in our rooms and hope for deliverance? We don't leave our houses? We stop living the mission God's called us to live? No, by no means. Paul makes it clear in what he says next. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. first just clear point that's so big here is God is working he's he's working because he's real as opposed to the lifeless idols or false gods of man God is at work meaning he's not absent he's not idle he's not busy he's not on vacation he's not distracted and he's not dead He's not far away. He's present. He's not distracted or busy. He's involved intimately in every moment of his children's life. See with me today that God is actively at work in every moment of your life, Christian. So when Paul says, according to the work, the power at work within us, not only is God at work, what is the power at work within us? It's Christ. Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God in us at work. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us who has also put a seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Oh, we are so desperate for the power of God indwelling us to go to work. For without it, Christian, we have no power. Jesus said clearly in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I ask you, what true power do you have to do anything spiritually good or God-honoring on your own? The answer is none. Beloved, brother and sister in Christ, how long have you tried to do it by your own power instead of the power of God at work within us? The answer is close, it's not far. You're living out of the power of the Lord. 
Or is your Christianity compartmentalized over here and you're just trying to be a good little boy, a good little girl on your own power? And if this is you, if you're trying to do it by your own power, no wonder you're so tired of not getting anywhere that you want to go. What do you do without Jesus' help? Let me help. You don't even exist without his power and help. You don't breathe the next breath, according to Scripture, without his power and help. Only Jesus is sustaining us and working in us in all things. Do you see the hand of the Lord at work? Consider how the power of God has worked in each of us who are saved. As we reminisce back on the early parts of chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says that we were dead in our sin. That's a serious diagnosis. We were spiritually dead, lifeless, hopeless, powerless. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, it says that God made us alive in Christ. See his power, see his grace. By his grace, we are saved. This is the resurrecting power of God at work in our lives, beloved. That's the power that's within you. It is the power of God to resurrect your dead spiritual corpse. This is not small. This is not little. This is not meaningless. This is everything. What an absolutely amazing display of the power of God at work within us. And that gospel continues to go to work. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 6.14 God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Praise God for the power at work within us. Christian, do you live by faith in the God of all power? In the God of resurrection power. Christian, do you see how his power is at work in your life? Oh, may, may we be full of confession and repentance this morning for all the ways that we ignore the fullness of God, the work of God, the ability of God, who God is. May this morning be a moment to ignite us out of our slothfulness out of our wicked excuses and distractions to over-focus on the temporary. For the power of God is at work within us to do His holy and mighty work in His time. Do you see how His power is at work in your life? I want to remind you of something that I've said many times before, but it's it's important I say it often. It is God's power that we're desperate for, not only for new life, for resurrection, but for ever and for everlasting life, not only for that, but for daily life. Unlike the prosperity touting heretics of our modern age that are all around, the God ordained writers of the Holy Word of God often taught, marveled, and even celebrated. Not their own 
personal power and accomplishments. But instead, their weaknesses, their failures to do what is righteous. For it was only when they truly embraced their weakness and put their constant press to perform out of sight that they were then fully and rightly dependent on Christ in which God's power then was most clearly on display. Understand often the power of God is more on display not in your power and your accomplishments, but in your weaknesses, in your humility. This is the regular emphasis of Paul in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Christian, are you guilty of only ever sharing your victories? Only ever showing the facade of your perfections? This is not the testimony of Paul. The testimony of the true Christian is one who is stable in their imperfections, can share their weaknesses because their identity is in Christ alone. We have to be willing to allow God to flip our fleshly thinking upside down and see that it is not our stellar performance that God uses, but our surrender and trust in Him that He uses. God is already the brightest. He's already the elite. He's already the richest. He's already the most powerful. He's already the best. He doesn't need that from you. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So may we say with Paul, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. I pray we see with Paul the fact that God's power is absolutely at work in us so that it draws us to true and never-ending Praise to him. First Chronicles twenty nine eleven. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Now hear this with me. If it belongs to Him, if the power comes from Him, then it is all glory to Him. Ephesians 3.21 To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. First, to Him be glory. Before we talk about the glory of God or how we glorify God, let's be reminded of what the glory of God is. The glory of God is the holiness of God on display. It is the infinite worth of God made manifest. 
Isaiah is given this amazing view of the throne of God, and what he sees is absolutely overwhelming. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, in the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When the holiness of God fills the earth for people to see, it's called glory. Holy means to be set apart from what is common. It's speaking of God's glory, God's infinite value. It shines. God's glory is the radiance of His holiness. The outstreaming of His infinite value. One theologian described it this way, God's glory is the visible expression of His invisible perfection. A display of the harmony of all of His personal characteristics. And the highest aim, church, of life, of all creation, and even the highest aim and of the driving motivation of God is His eternal glory. Isaiah 48, 11, God says He does what He does for His own namesake. And He gives His glory to no one. To Him be glory. And then specifically in verse 21, Paul says, To Him be glory in the church. When Paul says to Him be glory in the church, he's speaking of the high purpose for why the church even exists. To glorify God. We had to correct this over 10 years ago in our church, our, our mission statement, our proclamation of why our church exists now in its 131st year of gospel ministry in Kern County. It needed a refinement, not that what was there was bad, but it missed the main point. We exist to glorify God. Our purpose statement now is to glorify God through lives that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Word of Truth Catechism, question 15, asks and answers clearly, why did God make us? God made us to glorify Him so that His glory would be known and praised. Think about this day. Why does this day exist for you? Created person for the glory of God. Fathers, why are you a father for the glory of God? Families, why are you a family for the glory of God? Workers, why do you work for the glory of God? And in that you start to see, wow, I was and continue to struggle to be a sinful person. How desperate I am for the grace of God, the power of God, to go to work in me. Listen to how Paul emphasizes who we are in Christ, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim the excellencies of him, church. How do we glorify God? Words with Catechism, six, question 16. How do we... How should we glorify God? The answer is we glorify God by trusting in Jesus, enjoying Him, treasuring Him, growing in knowledge of Him, believing His words, obeying His commands, and showing and telling the world how great He is. Take time. Take time this week to look up some of those verses. Meditate on each of those points. That we would have application, action from this time together unto the glory of God. The most important task before you this week, Christian, is to do this homework. Is to focus in on that answer. Is to go to God's word that your life in these ways would glorify Him. Next, Paul says, to him be glory in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When Paul says, to him be glory in Christ Jesus, this seems to kind of go without saying, right? But it's the case because the life, death, the resurrection of Christ Jesus is so glorious. The manifestation of the incarnation, the eternal God the Son, took on flesh. When Paul refers to God the Son as Christ Jesus, he's bringing unique emphasis to God the Son in the flesh. He's emphasizing His humanity the holy and appointed work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Listen to John's famous words in John 1.14. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yeah, the glory is shown in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.19, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Church, see with me how God is truly glorified in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is why we testify Jesus in all we do, why we honor and obey Him and depend on Him. Next, Paul says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Two quick things I want to highlight here before we begin to wrap up. First, is the simple fact that God will be glorified throughout generations. Why? Because he's ordained it. The church cannot be overcome 
The work of God through the gospel will not be overcome. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. The perfect, sinless life, substitutional, sacrificial death and victorious resurrection from the grave of Christ cannot be overcome, cannot be undone. The power and will of God cannot be overcome or undone. So when Paul says, to God be glory throughout all generations forever and ever, understand he's saying, this will happen. God's glory will not end. Not in this creation and not ever. Amen? Also see with me the God-ordained part. He has created, saved, and called each one of us to be part of God being given glory throughout all generations forever and ever. How has He called you to be part of God being given glory throughout generations? Very specifically, the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, 18-20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, we have a part to play, and it's not a small part. It is so big, it is the most important thing that each of us do with our lives, with today. We're commissioned to make disciples of this generation unto the ends of the earth so that the next generation can continue to glorify God until He ordains it's done. See our part, church. It's not a small part. It's not a small work. It is for the glory of God in this generation and for future generations and forever and ever. Amen? That's how... We are a part. And in that, today, uniquely, I'll say this to the dads. It's why you're a dad. The disciple-making investment. The gospel testimony for the generation that God has ordained is in your care and leadership. That's the most important thing, being a dad. Not how your kids feel about you, not how much money they go on to make, not how big your family gets. The testimony of the gospel to the unbelieving and the disciple-making emphasis of your days to the believing is your way of glorifying God in this generation unto next generations. And if you've missed it till now, and He gives you the rest of the day, then go to work, man. And if He gives you tomorrow, then wake up and go to work, man. Every day He gives us.
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen is the word of positive response, confirmation, and affirmation used in Holy Scripture. To say amen is to say, I agree. Yes, that's good. That's true. Jesus himself is the truest. Amen. Amen. He alone perfectly and completely responded to everything God said and commanded. The good news is that Jesus does this on our behalf. So if you're here today and you're guilty in sin and Jesus is not the Lord in your life, He's done something that you could never do and something you could never earn. Will you confess your sin before Him and trust your life to Jesus as Lord and be saved and be a new man, a new woman? In His life of total obedience, He said yes to God's law where we said no. In his death on the cross, Jesus says yes to God's judgment, taking our place, being made sin for us, in exchange giving us his righteousness. For this we live and testify and worship our good and gracious God. Paul said it so well to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God. For his glory. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time and place to study this most holy, most valuable, most helpful passage of Scripture, this doxology, this crescendo of prayer and Paul for the beloved. We join him in praying these things. We thank you for our greater understanding of who you are, what you're able to do, how you're at work, and for why you do these things. May you be glorified. May you be worshipped. Even though we, we battle, even though we, we stress, even though we struggle, you are at work. We have faith in you, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And what you do, the glory belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.